Everyone who knows me knows that my dogs are never short on outfits. I buy leashes and collars like some people buy shoes and handbags. And my favorite collar is Iggy's custom-made Paco collar. Paco collars are 100% handmade from scratch by an amazing staff of artists, and the quality really is unparalleled. My dogs can't have collars that don't withstand wear and tear. They hike, they swim, they roll on dead stuff. These collars are guaranteed to last a lifetime, and they're designed to be worn by active dogs like mine. Iggy's collar is perfect for her. It's got purple stones, stars, and a beautiful design. There are literally thousands of design options to choose from, but don't worry. The staff at Paco loves helping customers pick out the best collar for their pets. That's exactly what they did when I went to their booth with Iggy. And they make stuff for humans too, so get over to PacoCollars.com and buy the best collar you've ever had, and don't forget to enter promo code COGDOG for free shipping. Dog People of the Internet, Worked Up Camp is happening. You can get all of the information for it over on the Worked Up Camp event page on Facebook. You have to click either going or interested, and then you're going to get all of the updates that are posted to that page. What you need to know right now is that registration applications open April 15th. I'm only going to take those applications for a 10-day period, and then I'm going to let people know who is in as far as working spots go. So you've got to get your application filled out and sent over to me between April 15th and April 25th. But in order to get that application, you've got to get over to that event page and join it so that you can get all of those updates. And I hope to see your application soon. Hey there, dog people of the internet. It's me, Sarah Strumming of the Cognitive Canine, and this is Cog Dog Radio, a podcast about all things dog sports and dog training. Join me as I explore my cases and considerations regarding the behavior of the dogs we live and play with. I hope you enjoy it. Today is the final installment of the Nylif series. So that's the Nothing in Life is Free podcast series. This is episode three. So if you haven't listened to episodes one or two about Nylif, I recommend going back and doing that before you listen to this one. We've talked about why I think Nylif works and what the roots of Nylif are. And so today, because last time I mentioned that I don't really care for it as um, a behavior solution. I'm going to talk about three common behavior problems that are treated with Nylif often and what I would do instead of a nothing in life is free protocol. I'm going to talk about owner directed resource guarding or space guarding. I'm going to talk about dog dog conflict in the household. And I'm going to talk about owner directed aggression that is not related to resources. So, Nylif is uh, prescribed for all three of these really commonly. And what's interesting about that is that the owners do report an improvement in behavior when Nylif is put into place. And this makes sense because you would be actually removing the dog from any of the situations in which any of this happens. So in, in these cases, you know, if we look at, let's say, owner-directed resource guarding, the 
dog's possession of resources is literally removed in Nyleth. The dog no longer has possession of anything on his own. So of course he now has nothing left to guard, um, and so people would see an improvement. As far as dog-dog conflict goes, once again, we'd be pretty much removing the dogs from access to each other. They wouldn't be loose together, they wouldn't be allowed to kind of enjoy each other's company or not enjoy each other's company. And we'd also be um, utilizing some things that I would recommend for dog-dog conflict, like controlling spaces and doorways. And so, of course, we'd see a reduction in those issues as well. And then with owner-directed aggression that's not related to resource guarding, putting the owner 100% in the driver's seat, not allowing the dog access to any resources or anything in general without going through the owner, may reduce those issues, but I'm going to talk about how it's possible that that could make things worse as well. So I like training alternatives for these, and the first thing that I recommend for all of the above is something that I learned from Kathy Sadeo, um, and I believe I mentioned her book before, which is called Plenty and Life is Free, and it's kind of a rebuttal of the Nyleth theory. And in that book, she talks about something called Smart Times 50. And SMART here stands for CMARC and reward training. And then times 50 just indicates that the owner's goal should be 50 times a day. So to practice SMART 50 times a day. Essentially, you'd want the owner to see what the dog is doing that is SMART or right or correct or desired. The owner should mark that behavior and then reinforce that behavior. So let's say my dog looks out the front window, chooses not to bark, um, or looks out the front window quietly, I'm going to mark that behavior, go to the cookie jar, get a cookie down and give it to them. In my multiple dog household, I use their names to mark those behaviors. Um, and I use their names in a specific tone for that. So if Ghost does something smart, I'll say, Ghosty, and go to the cookie jar and get it down and give her a treat. I do not feel obligated to give everybody a treat when I do that, and that's something that I think makes it a little bit more effective. If you just hand everybody food every single time um, you mark that behavior, I don't think that hurts anything, but I like to just give the dog um, whose name I called, and that offers up some clarity so that the dogs all understand, you know, whose name is being called and who's actually going to get food at that time. So smart times 50 I would do for all of the above behavior problems and then some. Pretty much everything can be helped with Smart Times 50. And what that does is it helps teach you, the owner, to be a more keen observer of your dog's behavior. It teaches you to see the dog doing things that are right, not only the things that are wrong. Um, and it just helps you to be a more skilled trainer in your daily life. We always want to be providing alternatives to the dog. So if the dog is resource guarding against their owner, we want to be teaching them actual alternative behaviors that will get them to the final goal. Same thing with dog-dog conflict um, and very much the case with owner-directed aggression that is not resource guarding. For most resource guarding, so that would be um, growling, biting, lunging over resources like bones, food bowls, beds, toys, some deliberate behavior modification that is specific to resource guarding with the help of a behavior specialist is my number one recommendation. And they may tell you to do Nyleth. And to be honest, I'm not going to sit here and tell you not to. Work with somebody you trust, follow their directions, be smart about what you're doing. And then 
if your dog is resource guarding spaces, so maybe the couch or the kitchen from another from a person in the house, that's when I would give the dog um, alternative behaviors that we have trained. So maybe the dog's on the couch and you need the dog to get off the couch before you sit down so that the dog doesn't aggress towards you. Um, a couple of things that, you know, Nylif would have you do would be the dog's already on a drag line, so you could pull the dog off the couch if you wanted, um, or you would have prevented the dog from taking access to that research anyway, resource anyway because the dog would have been on a drag line or in a crate and not having access to the couch. I think a smarter way to go about this is to train the dog with high rates of positive reinforcement, so I would use food, to go to different areas of the room. So I would literally train them to go where I point. So if I point at a bed, get on the bed, you're gonna get clicked and treated. If I point at a rug, go get on that rug, you're gonna get clicked and treated. All of my dogs understand that if I point at a surface um, and actually just say, hop it, they will go over and they will get on that surface. Even if, you know, whether it's a bench, um, a climb, I use the blue, uh, blue nine canine climbs in my house. If it's a raised dog bed, if it's a, pillowy dog bed, if it's a rug, if it is the couch, if I point and say dog's name, hop it, they will get up and they will get food. So this being a highly reinforced behavior, you could approach the couch, point at a dog bed, ask your dog to go get on that dog bed. And because that has a strong history of reinforcement, the dog will do so and you can feed them. Um, and then depending on if the dog can sit there with you or not, then you might invite the dog to get back up on the couch. So in the case of space guarding that involves a room, so maybe a kitchen, same deal. You train the dog to go to a space. This needs to be a highly reinforced behavior. Once the dog can do that, you can put it to use. You cannot put it to use until it is a highly reinforced behavior. So that's important to note. For dog-directed conflict, I would use a lot of the same stuff. Sometimes this is about resources. Sometimes we're not really sure what it's about. Um, I like to teach my dogs to go to spaces when I point. I like to teach them to release by name through doors. And I like to teach them to go into control spaces like crates on cue as well. Um, and then I might further than that, look at really specific areas of conflict. So one of my dogs uh, would get upset when everybody was coming in from outside. So if he got to come inside before anybody else, um, he would turn around and get growly with the other dogs as they were coming inside and so I just taught him when you come in the house you go straight to your crate and then you're going to get food so now as I'm letting everybody in I actually intentionally let him in first he runs straight to his crate he waits there I don't even have to go close the crate he waits there as I let everybody else in and then I go up and I have a cookie jar right by his crate and I drop food in his crate and then I leave it open and we go about our business because that was kind of his only problem area. One of my other dogs, when I was releasing everybody out uh, the door to go outside, if she went first, she'd like to spin around and bite everybody as they came out. Very playful, but a problem. And so teaching everybody to wait to be released by name is exactly how um, I fixed that issue. So. Again, with positive reinforcement, I didn't use that by closing the door. I use that by feeding the dogs for waiting. So kind of traditionally, you might train them to wait at the door by closing the door if they tried to go out it. Um, 
I instead just feed the dog for waiting, feed the dog for waiting, and then release by name. And, you know, there's some foundation behaviors that lead up to this, but before long, I've got five dogs waiting and releasing by name, and I simply release her last. Um, and then that behavior is gone. Or I might release her second to last because there is one dog who she will not bite <laughs> when that dog goes through the door. And so if you look at the specifics of when your dog is attacking the other dog, if you have those specifics, you can always come up with alternative arrangements, alternative behaviors, and then train those with positive reinforcement. And I find that that just works so much better than trying to implement huge amounts of control um, like Nylif over all of the dogs, especially in multiple dog households. Nylif can be really hard. So with owner-directed aggression that is not, sorry, owner-directed aggression that is not related to resource guarding, um, that's usually related to something that is called conflict aggression or conflict-induced aggression. Used to be referred to as dominance aggression, uh, but we've kind of ditched that term. And all it is is the dog becomes aggressive towards its owner when it perceives conflict with the owner. And this can be as simple as conflict that is produced with a simple collar grab. So the grabbing of the collar is something that's really common and popular in agility training. And if the dog has not been appropriately desensitized to this, um, it can certainly become an area of conflict that can produce aggression. Other things might be telling the dog to move, get off the bed, move out of the way, um, handling the dog in any way, anything like that. So conflict aggression is usually happening in, um, when the aggression almost seems to be idiopathic or almost seems to be, just be out of the blue. People don't usually understand why the dog is aggressing towards them when it is conflict induced. So again, the help of a veterinary behaviorist here or another behavior specialist who's experienced with this kind of thing is a good idea if this is happening to you. The reason that Nylif is not something that I like to treat owner-directed aggression is because I think Nylif only serves to put more conflict on the relationship. Now, people are going to argue, not if you do it right. And I'll give you that. If you actually train all of your Nylif behaviors with positive reinforcement, then it's not going to be a problem for you. The issue is that I find that people don't. I find that people ask for the dog to sit and they just don't give the dog access to anything um, until the dog does so. Or maybe they slam the door in the dog's face. The dog tries to go outside before sitting or, you know, et cetera, et cetera. The list goes on. And so what I like instead is to have the owner train the dog with positive reinforcement, put in that smart times 50. Smart times 50 is usually a big, big part of healing owner-directed conflict-induced aggression. But I also like, again, to train the dog a bunch of behaviors that make the dog easier to manage, and you train those things with positive reinforcement. If you can move the dog about the room or about the house with simple cues that the dog knows it's earning food for, we've removed any possibility of conflict. The dog is not going to be conflicted anymore. Um, if you teach the dog to put its head in its own collar, you don't have to grab the dog and wrestle it and put a harness or collar on. If you teach the dog to cooperate with toenail clipping, then you don't have to see aggression there either. All of these things come down to 
just actually teaching our dogs to cooperate with us and then we don't have any conflict involved anymore. I think simply implementing Nylif might shut the dog down to such a level that they no longer aggress. And I think that that's certainly possible. Um, for me, I'm not happy with that. I'm not happy with a dog that is simply doing less or behaving less. I want to see an owner and a dog participating together. And if you're listening to this and you work with the public on behavior issues and you're rolling your eyes and you're saying, there's no way that my clients would be able to do this kind of thing. Um, I'm going to call you out on that and I beg to differ. This is actually what I used to do for a living. I work mostly with performance people now online, but I did used to go into people's homes and work on behavior issues and I was successful at that. Um, and I think what you're not understanding is that carrying out Nylif correctly, so carrying out a nothing in life is free protocol correctly in a way that is not going to produce conflict with the dog and is not going to induce depression in the dog, I think is much more complicated than actually helping the person teach the dog to do simple behaviors for food. And if the teaching or training skills are not there, that's where you step in. You help teach the dog the behavior and then you simply transfer the skills to the people. Um, that's what should be done. And we've got to be in the business of making things better for people. And Nylif is not long-term feasible for anyone that I've ever worked with. And therefore, I'm not interested in it. Smart Times 50 is long-term feasible. I have so many clients who have been doing it for years and years because it's so reinforcing for them, the humans, that they just keep doing it. So always think about what your clients are capable of. And you may, you may be wrong. You may be thinking, you know, I'm using Nylif because I think my people can do it better. And in reality, they may actually be able to do something else um, more long-term. So that's going to conclude my thoughts on Nylif. Um, of course, send me an email at cogdogradio at gmail.com if you want to chat with this further or go leave a comment on the Facebook page. That's the Cogdog Radio Facebook page and talk to each other about this. If you're still using Nylif, if you want to move away from it, um, if you think I'm wrong, if you think I'm right, go have a conversation about it. And my, this is just a reminder that this is coming out on March 27th and my arousal layering game starts on April 1st on Fenzy Dog Sports Academy. I, this morning when I checked, I still had two silver spots open. Um, gold is full, but I still had two silver spots open and there's unlimited bronze, of course. So register for that at FenzyDogSportsAcademy.com, arousal layering games. It's the sister course to Worked Up, and it's all about teaching our crazy dogs to think under high levels of arousal. So I hope you'll jump in and enjoy it. Thanks for listening to Cog Dog Radio. If you have questions or suggestions, shoot them over to CogDogRadio at gmail.com. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget to like the Cog Dog Radio Facebook page, and until next time, happy training!